Section two of John Sherman and Doya by William Butler Yeats. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section two. Part two. Margaret Leland. One. Sherman and his mother rented a small house on the north side of St. Peter's Square, Hammersmith. The front windows looked out on to the old rank and green square the windows behind on to a little patch of garden round which the houses gathered and pressed as though they already longed to trample it out in this garden was a single tall pear tree that never bore fruit three years passed by without any notable event sherman went every day to his office in tower hill street abused his work a great deal and was not unhappy perhaps he was probably a bad clerk but then nobody was very exacting with the nephew of the head of the firm the firm of sherman and saunders shipbrokers was a long-established old-fashioned house saunders had been dead some years and old michael sherman ruled alone an old bachelor full of family pride and pride in his wealth he lived for all that in a very simple fashion his mahogany furniture was a little solider than other people's perhaps he did not understand display display finds its excuse in some taste good or bad and in a long industrious life michael sherman had never found leisure to form one he seemed to live only from habit year by year he grew more silent gradually ceasing to regard anything but his family and his ships his family were represented by his nephew and his nephew's mother he did not feel much affection for them he believed in his family that was all to remind him of the other goal of his thoughts hung round his private office pictures with such inscriptions as s s rumdus at the cape of good hope the bark mary in the mozambique channel the bark livingstone at port said and many more every rope was drawn accurately with a ruler and here and there were added distant vessels sailing proudly with all that indifference to perspective peculiar to the drawings of sailors on every ship was the flag of the firm spread out to show the letters no man cared for old michael sherman every one liked john both were silent but the young man had sometimes a talkative streak the old man lived for his ledger the young man for his dreams in spite of all these differences the uncle was on the whole pleased with the nephew he noticed a certain stolidity that was of the family it sometimes irritated others it pleased him he saw a hundred indications besides that made him say he is a true sherman we shermans begin that way and give up frivolity as we grow old we are all the same in the end mrs sherman and her son had but a small round of acquaintances a few rich people clients of the house of sherman and saunders for the most part among these was a miss margaret leland who lived with her mother the widow of the late henry leland shipbroker on the eastern side of st peter's square their house was larger than the sherman's and noticeable among its fellows by the newly painted hall door 
Within, on every side, were bronzes and china vases and heavy curtains. In all were displayed the curious and vagrant taste of Margaret Leland. The rich Italian and medieval draperies of the Pre-Raphaelites, jostling the brightest and vulgarest products of more native and Saxon schools. Vases of the most artistic shape and color, side by side with artificial flowers and stuffed birds. This house belonged to the Lelands. They had bought it in less prosperous days, and having altered it according to their taste and the need of their growing welfare, could not decide to leave it. Sherman was an occasional caller at the Lelands, and had certainly a liking, though not a very deep one, for Margaret. As yet he knew little more about her than that she wore the most fascinating hats, that the late Lord Lytton was her favourite author, and that she hated frogs. It is clear that she did not know that a French writer, on magic, says the luxurious and extravagant hate frogs because they are cold, solitary, and dreary. Had she done so, she would have been more circumspect about revealing her tastes. For the rest, John Sherman was forgetting the town of Bala. He corresponded, indeed, with Mary Carton, but his laborious letter-writing made his letters fewer and fewer. Sometimes, too, he heard from Howard, who had a curacy in Glasgow, and was on indifferent terms with his parishioners. They objected to his way of conducting the services. His letters were full of it. He would not give in, he said, whatever happened. His conscience was involved. 2. One afternoon Mrs. Leland called on Mrs. Sherman. She very often called, this fat, sentimental woman, moving in the midst of a cloud of scent. The day was warm, and she carried her too elaborate and heavy dress as a large caddisfly drags its case with much labor and patience. She sat down on the sofa with obvious relief, leaning so heavily among the cushions that a clothes-moth in an antimacassar thought the end of the world had come, and fluttered out only to be knocked down and crushed by Mrs. Sherman, who was very quick in her movements. As soon as she found her breath, Mrs. Leland began a long history of her sorrows. Her daughter Margaret had been jilted and was in despair, had taken to her bed with every resolution to die, and was growing paler and paler. The hard-hearted man, though she knew he had heard, did not relent. She knew he had heard because her daughter had told his sister all about it, and his sister had no heart because she said it was temper that ailed Margaret, and she was a little vixen, and that if she had not flirted with everybody the engagement would never have been broken off. But Mr. Sims had no heart, clearly, as Miss Marriott and Mrs. Eliza Taylor, her daughter's friends, said, when they heard, and Locke, the butler, said the same too, and Mary Young, the housemaid, said so too, and she knew all about it, for Margaret used to read his letters to her, often when having her hair brushed. She must have been very fond of him, said Mrs. Sherman. She is so romantic, my dear, answered Mrs. Leland with a sigh. I am afraid she takes after an uncle on her father's side, who wrote poetry and wore a velvet jacket and ran away with an Italian countess who used to get drunk. 
When I married Mr. Leland people said he was not worthy of me, and that I was throwing myself away, and he in business too. But Margaret is so romantic. There was Mr. Walters, the gentleman farmer, and Simpson, who had a jeweller's shop. I never approved of him. And Mr. Samuelson, and the Honourable William Scott. She tired of them all except the Honourable William Scott, who tired of her, because someone told him she put belladonna in her eyes, and it is not true. And now there is Mr. Sims. She then cried a little, and allowed herself to be consoled by Mrs. Sherman. "'You talk so intelligently, and are so well informed,' she said at parting. "'I have made a very pleasant call.' And the caddis-worm toiled upon its way, arriving in due course at other cups of tea. Three. The day after Mrs. Leland's call upon his mother, John Sherman, returning home after his not very lengthy day at the office, saw Margaret coming towards him. She had a lawn-tennis racket under her arm, and was walking slowly on the shady side of the road. She was a pretty girl, with quite irregular features, who, though really not more than pretty, had so much manner, so much of an air, that every one called her a beauty, a trefoil with the fragrance of a rose. "'Mr. Sherman,' she cried, coming smiling to meet him, "'I have been ill, but could not stand the house any longer. I'm going to the square to play tennis. Will you come with me?' Oh, "'I'm a bad player,' he said. "'Of course you are,' she answered, "'but you are the only person under a hundred to be found this afternoon.' how dull life is she continued with a sigh you heard how ill i have been what do you do all day i sit at a desk sometimes writing and sometimes when i get lazy looking up at the flies there are fourteen on the plaster of the ceiling over my head they died two winters ago i sometimes think to have them brushed off but they have been there so long now i hardly like to ah you like them she said because you are accustomed to them in most cases there is not much more to be said for our family affections i think in a room close at hand he went on there is you know uncle michael who never speaks precisely you have an uncle who never speaks i have a mother who never is silent she went to see mrs sherman the other day what did she say to her nothing really what a dull thing existence is this with a great sigh when the fates are weaving our web of life some mischievous goblin always runs off with the dye-pot everything is dull and grey am i looking a little pale i have been so very ill a little bit pale perhaps he said doubtfully the square gate brought them to a stop it was locked, but she had the key. The lock was stiff, but turned easily for John Sherman. "'How strong you are!' she said. It was an iridescent evening of spring. The leaves of the bushes had still their faint green. As Margaret darted about at the tennis, a red feather in her cap seemed to rejoice with its wearer. Everything was at once gay and tranquil. The whole world had that unreal air it assumes at beautiful moments, as though it might vanish at a touch, like an iridescent soap-bubble. 
After a little Margaret said she was tired, and sitting on a garden seat among the bushes, began telling him the plots of novels lately read by her. Suddenly she cried, " The novel writers were all serious people like you. They are so hard on people like me. They always make us come to a bad end. They say we are always acting, acting, acting. And what else do you serious people do? You act before the world. I think, do you know, we act before ourselves. All the old foolish kings and queens in history were like us. They laughed and beckoned and went to the block for no very good purpose. I dare say the headsmen were like you. We would never cut off so pretty a head. Oh, yes, you would. You would cut off mine to-morrow. All this she said vehemently, piercing him with her bright eyes. You would cut off my head to-morrow, she repeated, almost fiercely. I tell you, you would. Her departure was always unexpected. Her moods changed with so much rapidity. Look, she said, pointing where the clock on St. Peter's Church showed above the bushes, five minutes to five. In five minutes, my mother's tea hour. It is like growing old. I go to gossip. Good-bye. The red feather shone for a moment among the bushes and was gone. 4. The next day and the day after, Sherman was followed by those bright eyes. When he opened a letter at his desk, they seemed to gaze at him from the open paper, and to watch him from the flies upon the ceiling. He was even a worse clerk than usual. One evening he said to his mother, "'Miss Leland has beautiful eyes.' "'My dear, she puts belladonna in them.' "'What a thing to say!' "'I know she does, though her mother denies it.' well she is certainly beautiful he answered my dear if she has an attraction for you i don't want to discourage it she is rich as girls go nowadays and one woman has one fault another another one's untidy one fights with her servants one fights with her friends another has a crabbed tongue when she talks of them sherman became again silent finding no fragment of romance in such discourse in the next week or two he saw much of miss leland he met her almost every evening on his return from the office walking slowly her racket under her arm they played tennis much and talked more sherman began to play tennis in his dreams miss leland told him all about herself her friends her inmost feelings and yet every day he knew less about her it was not merely that saying everything she said nothing but that continually there came through her wild words the sound of the mysterious flutes and vials of that unconscious nature which dwells so much nearer to woman than to man how often do we not endow the beautiful and candid with depth and mystery not their own we do not know that we but hear in their voices those flutes and vials playing to us of the alluring secret of the world sherman had never known in early life what is called first love and now when he had passed thirty it came to him that love more of the imagination than of either the senses or affections 
it was mainly the eyes that followed him it is not to be denied that as this love grew serious it grew mercenary now active now latent the notion had long been in sherman's mind as we know that he should marry money a born lounger riches tempted him greatly when those eyes haunted him from the fourteen flies on the ceiling he would say i should be rich i should have a house in the country i should hunt and shoot and have a garden and three gardeners i should leave this abominable office then the eyes became even more beautiful it was a new kind of belladonna he shrank a little however from choosing even this pleasant pathway he had planned many futures for himself and learnt to love them all it was this that had made him linger on at bala for so long and it was this that now kept him undecided he would have to give up the universe for a garden and three gardeners how sad it was to make substantial even the best of his dreams how hard it was to submit to that decree which compels every step we take in life to be a death in the imagination how difficult it was to be so enwrapped in this one new hope as not to hear the lamentations that were going on in dim corners of his mind one day he resolved to propose he examined himself in the glass in the morning and for the first time in his life smiled to see how good-looking he was in the evening before leaving the office he peered at himself in the mirror over the mantelpiece in the room where customers were received the sun was blazing through the window full on his face he did not look so well immediately all courage left him that evening he went out after his mother had gone to bed and walked far along the towing path of the thames a faint mist half covered away the houses and factory chimneys on the further side beside him a band of osiers swayed softly the deserted and full river lapping their stems he looked on all these things with foreign eyes he had no sense of possession indeed it seemed to him that everything in london was owned by too many to be owned by any one another river that he did seem to possess flowed through his memory with all its familiar sights boys riding in the stream to the saddle girths fish leaping water-flies raising their small ripples a swan asleep the wallflowers growing on the red brick of the margin he grew very sad suddenly a shooting star fiery and vagabond leaped from the darkness it brought his mind again in a moment to margaret leland to marry her he thought was to separate himself from the old life he loved so well crossing the river at putney he hurried homewards among the market gardens nearing home the streets were deserted the shops closed where king street joins the broadway entirely alone with itself in the very centre of the road a little black cat was leaping after its shadow ah he thought it would be a good thing to be a little black cat to leap about in the moonlight and sleep in the sunlight and catch flies to have no hard tasks to do or hard decisions to come to to be simple and full of animal spirits 
At the corner of Bridge Road was a coffee stall, the only sign of human life. He bought some cold meat and flung it to the little black cat. Five. Some more days went by. At last, one day, arriving at the square somewhat earlier than usual, and sitting down to wait for Margaret on the seat among the bushes, he noticed the pieces of a torn-up letter lying about. Beside him on the seat was a pencil, as though someone had been writing there and left it behind them. The pencil-lead was worn very short. The letter had been torn up, perhaps in a fit of impatience. In a half-mechanical way he glanced over the scraps. On one of them he read, My dear Eliza, what an incurable gossip my mother is! You heard of my misfortune. I nearly died. Here he had to search among the scraps. At last he found one that seemed to follow. Perhaps you will hear news from me soon. There is a handsome young man who pays me attention, and— Here another piece had to be found. I would take him, though he had a face like the man in the moon, and limped like the devil at the theatre. Perhaps I am a little in love. Oh, friend of my heart! Here it broke off again. He was interested, and searched the grass and the bushes for fragments. Some had been blown to quite a distance. He got together several sentences now. I will not spend another winter with my mother for anything. All this is, of course, a secret. I had to tell somebody. Secrets are bad for my health. Perhaps it will all come to nothing. Then the letter went off into dress, the last novel the writer had read, and so forth. A Miss Sims, too, was mentioned, who had said some unkind thing of the writer. Sherman was greatly amused. It did not seem to him wrong to read. We do not mind spying on one of the crowd any more than on the personages of literature. It never occurred to him that he, or any friend of his, was concerned in these pencil scribblings. Suddenly he saw this sentence, Hey, ho, your poor Margaret is falling in love again. Condole with her, my dear. He started. The name Margaret, the mention of Miss Sims, the style of the whole letter, all made plain the authorship. Very desperately ashamed of himself, he got up and tore each scrap of paper into still smaller fragments and scattered them far apart. That evening he proposed, and was accepted. 6. For several days there was a new heaven and a new earth. Miss Leland seemed suddenly impressed with the seriousness of life. She was gentleness itself, and as Sherman sat on Sunday mornings in his pocket-handkerchief of a garden under the one tree with its smoky stem, watching the little circles of sunlight falling from the leaves like a shower of new sovereigns, he gazed at them with a longer and keener joy than heretofore, a new heaven and a new earth, surely. Sherman planted and dug and raked this pocket-handkerchief of a garden most diligently, rooting out the docks and dandelions and mouse-ear and the patches of untimely grass. It was the point of contact between his new life and the old. It was far too small and unfertile and shaded in to satisfy his love of gardener's experiments and early vegetables. 
Perforce this husbandry was too little complex for his affections to gather much round plant and bed. His garden in Bala used to touch him like the growth of a young family. Now he was content to satisfy his barbaric sense of color. Right round were planted alternate hollyhock and sunflower, and behind them scarlet runners showing their inch-high cloven shoots. One Sunday it occurred to him to write to his friends on the matter of his engagement. He numbered them over, Howard, one or two less intimate, and Mary Carton. At that name he paused. He should not write just yet. 7. One Saturday there was a tennis party. Miss Leland devoted herself all day to a young foreign office clerk. She played tennis with him, talked with him, drank lemonade with him, had neither thoughts nor words for anyone else. John Sherman was quite happy. Tennis was always a bore, and now he was not called upon to play. It had not struck him there was occasion for jealousy. As the guests were dispersing, his betrothed came to him. Her manner seemed strange does anything ail you margaret he asked as they left the square everything she answered looking about her with ostentatious secrecy you are a most annoying person you have no feeling you have no temperament you are quite the most stupid creature i was ever engaged to what is wrong with you he asked in bewilderment don't you see she replied with a broken voice I flirted all day with that young clerk. You should have nearly killed me with jealousy. You do not love me a bit. There is no knowing what I might do. Well, you know, he said, it was not right of you. People might say, look at John Sherman, how furious he must be. To be sure, I wouldn't be furious a bit, but then they'd go about saying I was. It would not matter, of course, but you know it is not right of you. It is no use pretending you have feeling. It is all that miserable little town you come from, with its sleepy old shops and its sleepy old society. I would give up loving you this minute, she added, with a caressing look, if you had not that beautiful bronzed face. I will improve you. Tomorrow evening you must come to the opera. Suddenly she changed the subject. Do you see that little fat man coming out of the square and staring at me? I was engaged to him once. Look at the four old ladies behind him, shaking their bonnets at me. Each has some story about me, and it will be all the same in a hundred years. After this he had hardly a moment's peace. She kept him continually going to theatres, operas, parties. These last were an especial trouble for it was her wont to gather about her an admiring circle to listen to her extravagancies, and he was no longer at the age when we enjoy audacity for its own sake. 8. Gradually those bright eyes of his imagination, watching him from letters and from among the fourteen flies on the ceiling, had ceased to be centres of peace they seemed like two whirlpools wherein the order and quiet of his life were absorbed hourly and daily 
he still thought sometimes of the country house of his dreams and of the garden and the three gardeners but somehow they had lost half their charm he had written to howard and some others and commenced at last a letter to mary carton it lay unfinished on his desk a thin coating of dust was gathering upon it mrs leland called continually on mrs sherman she sentimentalized over the lovers and even wept over them each visit supplied the household with conversation for a week every sunday morning his letter-writing time sherman looked at his uncompleted letter gradually it became plain to him he could not finish it it had never seemed to him he had more than friendship for mary carton yet somehow it was not possible to tell her of this love affair the more his betrothed troubled him the more he thought about the unfinished letter he was a man standing at the crossroads whenever the wind blew from the south he remembered his friend for that is the wind that fills the heart with memory one sunday he removed the dust from the face of the letter almost reverently as though it were the dust from the wheels of destiny but the letter remained unfinished nine one wednesday in june sherman arrived home an hour earlier than usual from his office as his wont was the first wednesday in every month on which day his mother was at home to her friends they had not many callers to-day there was no one as yet but a badly dressed old lady his mother had picked up he knew not where she had been looking at his photograph album and recalling names and dates from her own prosperous times as she went out miss leland came in she gave the old lady in passing a critical look that made the poor creature very conscious of a threadbare mantle and went over to mrs sherman holding out both hands sherman who knew all his mother's peculiarities noticed on her side a slight coldness perhaps she did not altogether like this beautiful dragonfly i have come said miss leland to tell john that he must learn to paint music and society are not enough there is nothing like art to give refinement then turning to john sherman my dear i will make you quite different you are a dreadful barbarian you know what ails me margaret just look at that necktie nothing shows a man's cultivation like his necktie and then you're reading you never read anything but old books nobody wants to talk about i will lend you three every one has read this month you really must acquire small talk and change your necktie presently she noticed the photograph book lying open on a chair oh she cried i must have another look at john's beauties it was a habit of his to gather all manner of pretty faces it came from incipient old bachelorhood perhaps margaret criticized each photo in turn with ah she looks as if she had some life in her or i do not like your sleepy eyelids or some such phrase the mere relations were passed by without a word one face occurred several times a quiet face as margaret came on this one for the third time mrs sherman who seemed a little resentful about something said 
that is his friend mary carton he told me about her he has a book she gave him so that is she how interesting i pity these poor country people it must be hard to keep from getting stupid my friend is not at all stupid said sherman does she speak with a brogue i remember you told me she was very good it must be difficult to keep from talking platitudes when one is very good you are quite wrong about her you would like her very much he replied she is one of those people i suppose who can only talk about their relatives or their families or about their friends children how this one has got the whooping cough and this one is getting well of the measles she kept swaying one of the leaves between her finger and thumb impatiently what a strange way she does her hair and what an ugly dress you must not talk that way about her she is my great friend 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 she burst out he thinks i will believe in friendship between a man and a woman she got up and said turning round with an air of changing the subject have you written to your friends about our engagement you had not done so when i asked you lately i have all well not all your great friend miss uh, what do you call her miss carton i have not written to her she tapped impatiently with her foot they were really old companions that is all said mrs sherman wishing to mend matters they were both readers that brought them together i never much fancied her yet she was well enough as a friend and helped maybe with reading and the gardening and his good bringing up to keep him from the idle young men of the neighbourhood you must make him write and tell her at once you must you must almost sobbed out miss leland i promise he answered immediately returning to herself she cried if i were in her place i know what i would like to do when i got the letter i know who i would like to kill this with a laugh as she went over and looked at herself in the mirror over the mantelpiece end of section two